This is a special announcement for a special show. Post-Orthodoxy is a live radio broadcast aired on KBMF Radio in Butte, Montana. Then it is converted into a podcast format for listeners like you. For the sake of our non-local listeners, we usually edit out local-centric parts of our show, often radio station business, underwriters for the station, and an inordinate amount of ums from yours truly. This week's program resulted in a dozen or so complaints to the station manager and some questionable behavior by station licensee board members, which resulted in a censorship order and a gag order for future shows. To put it crassly, we were chopped off at the knees, then invited to dance. In the spirit of transparency and good faith, the edit of this edition of Post-Orthodoxy has only been edited to include this introduction. The rest of the program is untouched. If you are interested in following the censorship issue regarding our show, you can find our statement on the issue and developments in the story by going to our Post-Orthodoxy Facebook page. Thanks for listening. Hello. Welcome to my art form. It's time for Post-Orthodoxy, a show about changing our minds. Yeah, baby. Dark and Ainsley Sevier. Maybe what they believe about reality isn't all of reality. What? I know, right? We are on a mission to have a better time with more people more often. The question is more how do you get there? Post-orthodoxy explores strongly held beliefs, how those belief systems divide or connect people, and what might be found beyond those reality bubbles. Keep calm. Don't lose your head. I've got a piece of chocolate here with me because I got anxiety about doing this. Welcome to this neighborhood. Neighbor, 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 yeah. I'm Ainsley Sevier, and as always, my co-host is Dark Sevier, and we're looking for your input this afternoon. Oh, boy. You could be listening to us terrestrially at 102.5 FM or at butamericaradio.org slash stream worldwide, or you might find us online at facebook.com slash Ainsley Helen or twitch.tv slash the Seviers. We're in several different places at once. It's fascinating what technology can do for you. We are the fourth industrial revolution. Uh Uh-oh. Thank you so much to the Noracle for that fantastic show, Songs of Love and Horror. Yeah. She just shows up every week and provides you with quality new Mm. music from around the world. Mm -hmm. And it don't cost nothing. And don't cost nothing. And you can too. If if you feel like you want to contribute to KBMF programming, you can always head us up at butamericaradio.org and find a time to do some training to become a DJ. And it's really easy. It only takes like three buddy sessions and then you're off on your own playing whatever music you want, hosting interviews, doing a news hour, whatever works for you. Um, yeah, you know, the thing that I, I like seeing new people uh, take the helm yeah, it's and so exciting. It's always interesting to know, to have heard a person on radio and mm-hmm. then had met them in person. And then you're like, that's not the person who I thought right. was on the radio. And, and vice reverse versa. <laughs> is to know people in real life mm-hmm. and then hear them on the radio and mm-hmm. say, wow, that's 
it's a different aspect of that person. I feel like it gives people, especially the anonymity, because you could technically pick a DJ name that no one knows who you are. Right. And so you have this fresh start. It's like a new relationship. Yeah. You can just completely do new things, try out new personalities, try out that one chuckle or that one um, wink and nod sound that you've always wanted to do and figure out what your DJ vibe is. And right. it doesn't have to have anything to do with who you were before. Right. Recently, I've been listening to Sean Amon's show, and he's come on board. And boy, I just, he's got such uh, an encyclopedic knowledge. So much of music. music. Mm -hmm. So you have an informed person there conducting your trip. And he obviously this loves Sonic Landscape. It's great. Yeah. He obviously loves all the music that he's talking about, too. Mm hmm. Um, you could, it comes through in the tone. It's different than just a kid who's had to get up and do a research paper on the progression of this musical style to that musical style. Like Sean's really spinning it out. Right. And so if you, if you've thought about maybe I could do a radio show, it's true. You could, you could do, you a radio really show. could. <laughs> in fact, um, Butte's own Christy Hayes has recently joined the That's KBF right. DJ ranks. Getting all the, the musical icons from <laughs> The Mountain West. I'm sorry that uh, people can't be performing as much as they want to be these days, but I'm glad that in their spare time, they're coming to KBMF and sharing their wondrous musical knowledge with us. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so what are we talking about today, Dark? Welcome to Post-Orthodoxy. Today we usually talk about, in the beginning of the show, we've been doing some updates on the elephant in the society, <laughs> uh, which is the coronavirus. Yeah, that was the, the advertisement image that I made for us today. Post-orthodoxy, we talk about coronavirus a lot. <laughs> I've been kind of getting burnt out a little bit. I've been right, like, right, right. well, like burnt I out. Know. I'm anticipating our audience is getting burnt out, but maybe they're not. And I'm like, they don't want to hear me say the same thing all the time. But maybe, uh, you know, I mean, I found Bernie's political style to be reassuring. Saying, saying the same saying thing all the, the time. same thing over and over again. Consistency of message. I knew what he stood for, and I got a little more education every time because I was always picking up more aspects of his message. Well, for folks who uh, don't are not familiar with the show and what we do, uh, I like to. There's a new term I like using: a meta news. Meta news. It's a meta news program. Mm -hmm. It's not so much, hey, I read this and now I'm going to tell you about it. It's a little more of like, I heard some information and I had to go down the rabbit hole. And this is my process to that I went through in order to try to understand some current event. Yeah. So we're not just talking about coronavirus. We're no. talking about how you feel about the coronavirus and what people are trying to get you to think about the coronavirus. And how do we not panic? That's sort of my big theme of today. I know we How do you said, have anybody you can trust? We've been talking about the fourth industrial revolution and the coronavirus a lot for mm -hmm. the last several weeks in a row. And I... I thought, well, maybe we should do something else. And then it was just a cascading... Um, <laughs> more coronavirus More stuff. coronavirus. And the Fourth Industrial Revolution, I think, is really interesting because it's tied in to the larger story that we're dealing with with this virus. Um, some would say this is another mark in the downward curve in the demise of Western civilization that is actually hastening. It's a little dip. In the, the decline the of Western civilization. The global pandemic? Yes. The way that we have dealt the with The way it. The, that, the, that the U.S. has dealt with the global pandemic? As you like to say, virus is going to virus. Virus uh, is going to virus. And then how we deal with it is really what all the stories have been about. Right. Um, Especially in the U.S. And again, that's mostly what we can speak to. That's mostly what we can speak to. I do try to keep um, 
on what's happening through various other outlets, news outlets, but generally speaking, I'm talking to my folks here in uh, the good old USA. Right. Um, our handling of this virus has been egregious. In the U.S. In the U.S., and I'm not talking about medically. I'm talking about informationally, socially, politically. Mm-hmm. We, Ecumenically, we have not. Yeah, we have not <laughs> been doing a good job on any level that I have seen. Um, well, uh, I think a good job would look like taking informed, care of the citizens. Yeah. Taking care of the people most at sure risk. making sure that we were ta- figuring out what was really going on and then spreading that information around so that people could take care of their fellow citizens properly. Yeah, we didn't do that so well. No, we're still talking about the same data that we had seven months ago. We have new data. So uh, I'm interested in this idea of the virus, the immune system. So, mm-hmm. right, the, the the virus does tend to target people with weakened immune systems. So I think it's important to talk about the immune system and how you can have a strong immune system. And in that conversation is mental health. Yeah. Mental health is really important to your overall health. Yes. In terms of stresses on the body. So if you are having anxiety and stress around a virus, it's going to have perhaps, um, it's going, it, it can help, the trip towards a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. Being afraid of the virus can give you the virus. Now that sounds nutso. Well, uh, not absolutely, but it does. This is what I'm trying to draw out here is if you're stressed out, you are increasing your odds of getting the virus. Yes. Even if your stress is about getting the virus, ironically. Yes, mental, diminished mental health, stress and anxiety weakens your immune system. Depression, stress, anxiety weakens your immune system. And a weakened immune system cannot handle a virus the same way that a healthy immune system handles a virus. There's a lot of information coming out. Uh, Today I was immediately bombarded with uh, a number of folks that were sharing this new CDC data mm-hmm. about the virus. And it's important to note that this is not, I'm looking at this not from some biased perspective where I want the information to be true or I want to prove that the information is untrue. I'm looking at the phenomena of this information came out mm-hmm. and how widespread how widespread it was in my newsfeed. So it means that um, there were a lot of people who were sharing this information before I got up this morning. Um, and the information was, uh, I found it interesting. Um, the week, uh, this week, the CDC updated, this is the thing that went around. Today, and it, recently. That went around today. And yeah. there's a link to the information that they're talking about from the Center for Disease Control website. So this is what was being passed around. And I'll read the wording in the way that it was being passed around, because I think it's important, even though I find the wording problematic. Um, it says, this week the CDC um, quietly updated the death count of COVID-19 to admit that only 6% of the reported 161,392 deaths in the United States actually died from COVID alone. This was updated last week 
the last week of August 2020. Mm. The wording that I have a problem with is the quietly updated. Right. So That's a leading statement. They update on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And they don't run ads saying that they've updated on a regular basis. Which, so this is the new information that has come out with some adjusted numbers. Well, I mean, I identify with the person who said they quietly updated these numbers because these numbers are going against the thing that everybody's been yelling about for the past six months. And I feel like it's responsible if you've got new information to let everybody know, hey, when we actually look at all the data, we're finding out it's not as deadly as we were saying. I think that would be responsible. So I get why she said they're quietly updating. That would be a society that was funct functioning in a healthy way. That would find new information and make sure people had access to the new good information. Right. So what they're saying is only 6% of the deaths actually died from COVID. This is COVID alone. Now that's an important distinction. Right. So one important distinction I've been trying to get people to, in terms of information intake, mm -hmm. how am I going to, I'm gathering information from either CNN or USA Today or Al Jazeera or wherever you're getting it from. <laughs> Whenever the information comes in and they say uh, 161,000 people died of coronavirus, I immediately am suspect of that source because what of those people now. who died... Not everybody died of coronavirus. Many people mm -hmm. died of other things that had coronavirus. Now, when they say only 6% died of coronavirus alone, they're mm -hmm. saying they had no comorbidities. They didn't have any other thing that the virus then jumped upon and weakened them further and killed. Right. Killed them. Right. So they're saying people who died and the only thing they knew wrong with them was this COVID-19 thing, which I find interesting because it's not actually a thing. COVID-19, like AIDS, is a set of symptoms a Set of symptoms that you can die mm -hmm. from. Like you can have vi pneumonia caused, pneumonia that you get because your immune system couldn't handle a virus, and you can have pneumonia that you get because your immune system couldn't handle a bacterial overload. Mm. You can have pneumonia that you get because you couldn't handle the influenza, and you can have pneumonia that you get, this is getting annoying. The, you want to close the window there? This is just adding drama to the story. <laughs> it's an ambulance. Or you can have pneumonia that you get because your body couldn't handle SARS-CoV-2 as it came through your body. Right. So, But when you get pneumonia because of influenza, they say you have the flu. And when you get pneumonia because of SARS-CoV-2, they say that you have COVID-19. This is part of the data information that is bewildering and, and causing for a lot of uh, consternation amongst folks across party lines, belief system lines, religious lines. Mm -hmm. We can't settle in into some, the idea of science is that there should be some objective, reliable information that you go to and say, this is the fact that we see. So when you hear someone say 161,000 people died of coronavirus, that's not correct information on a factual level there could be that many people who died with the coronavirus in their system but we don't exactly know the numbers of the people who died because of the coronavirus in their system right so it's tricky and, it's right. a it's a distinction but it, it means a lot it means a lot it makes people think you're splitting hairs or you're being nitpicky but it's actually really important because like that's like it's like you can 
you can totally die of pneumonia. Yes. And when you die of pneumonia, they usually just say you died of pneumonia. And they might write an underlying cause of death if they decide to test you for something. Right. They might say, oh, and they had a lot of influenza B in their system, which is a virus. But now that we've got corona, um, SARS-CoV-2 floating around, if somebody dies of pneumonia, they test and they find that they might have influenza B in their system or they might have SARS-CoV-2 in their system. And whereas normally you'd just be like, oh, it's really super sad this person died of pneumonia. They probably died of pneumonia because they were a smoker for 30 years and had COPD, which is a lung disorder. Mm. Um, and so what would normally have just been a regular old case of pneumonia is actually now a deadly case of pneumonia. But now, instead of saying this person died of pneumonia, which they got from an overgrowth of influenza B in their system because of smoking for 30 years and having COPD, uh -huh. they just say this person died of COVID-19. That's happening. Like, yes, you, but you died of pneumonia because there was a virus in your system and your body was not equipped to handle the virus the way that a healthy immune system handles viruses. Right. So I'm going to put in our Facebook comments section, I'm putting a link Make to sure the Make sure you new, put it in the new video. I did. I went to the new video. This is the, the, news, the latest CDC information. Provisional death counts for coronavirus disease. Yeah. So I put that up and it's worth looking at because... It's a little wonky, and it goes also to uh, an article, which I'm also going to post a link to, and maybe we should talk about, this would be a good time to talk about that now. Um, there's an article that was in the New York Times yesterday, mm -hmm. and even though I don't subscribe to the New York Times, I found that if I open up an incognito window, I can read their articles. Um, pro tip. Uh, yeah, so well, you... They want you to either subscribe or see their ads. And since we right. use ad blockers on our Chrome browser, if you open an incognito window, you're not blocking the ads. And so you can work right. around the ad firewall. Right. So what I found in this New York Times article, um, and again, this is the daisy chain that we go through to try to figure out what's going on in the try world. Try to find good information to share with our friends. So there's a New York Times article called, Your Coronavirus Test is Positive, Maybe It Shouldn't Be. Mm -hmm. And so they go into some of the problems around what they're calling the, the coronavirus test or the PCR test. Mm -hmm. um, that test, the PCR test, is a problematic test for this virus, as we've talked about on previous shows, that it's not just testing for this coronavirus. It can pick up fragments of all kinds of things when they do their processing. It then amplifies things that would be... Uh, minuscule and really not much of a factor into a positive test. Right. And it may not be the thing that we're being tested for. So the current CDC recommended PCR test yeah. tests for SARS-CoV-2 and influenza A and B. And they say that it tests for SARS-CoV-2 and influenza A and B. But they don't delineate on the CDC website whether or not they're differentiating between a test that's positive because you have influenza in your system or a test that's positive because you have SARS-CoV-2 in your system. Right. So I'd like to read a couple of pieces from this article. Um, your coronavirus test is positive. Maybe it shouldn't be. Here are a couple of uh, quotes from the article, and then I'll go further. Uh, on Thursday, the United States recorded 45,604 new coronavirus cases. According to a... 44,000 new cases. The United States recorded 45... 
12,604 mm. new coronavirus cases according to a database maintained by the Times. If the rates of contagiousness in Massachusetts and New York were to apply nationwide, then perhaps only 4,500 of those people may actually need to isolate and submit to contact tracing. So New York Times is saying of the 45,000 new positive cases in the U.S. Maybe only 4,500 are serious enough to be contact tracing so and isolating. So 10% of those cases are probably only actually ill enough. Oh, not even ill. Just have enough of the virus in their system yeah. that they could shed it. Right. Uh, one solution would be to adjust the cycle. Now, they're talking about the, the PCR test. And I'm going to stop here for a second because I also, if you're following us, um, if you're following our comments over here on the Facebook page, I'm sharing a link now to a, a lady named Jen Hemstra. She has... Uh, she had a tweet today that says, if you're following the news on COVID-19 testing, you may have heard the debate about RT-PCR testing and CT values leading to false positive results. Which happens a lot. They're like 30% false positive, false negative. Right. You may be wondering, how does PCR work? What makes it RT? And what, uh, and what the heck is a CT value? So this is a, <laughs> this is a science community Sunday primer by, her name is Jen Heemstra, H-E-E-M-S-T-R-A, at Jen Heemstra on Twitter if you if that's somebody you want to go look up. And she will give you a nice, succinct breakdown of how these tests work and what the problems are with the testing. Mm-hmm. Part of the problems is uh, the test is too good. It's too sensitive. It's too sensitive. So it's picking up, and I'm going to go further down into this New York article. Uh, One solution would be to adjust the cycle threshold, that's the CT she was talking about, used to decide that a patient is infected. Most tests set the limit at 40 CT, a few at 37 CT. This means that you are positive for the coronavirus if the test process required is up to 40 cycles or 37 to detect the virus. Tests with thresholds so high may detect not just live virus, but also genetic fragments, leftovers from infection that pose no particular risk, akin to finding a hair in a room long after a person has left. Okay, so what she's saying is these PCR tests are so sensitive that they're picking up amounts of SARS-CoV-2 in people's systems that are irrelevant. Negligible. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But then that counts as a positive test. Right. So to go further, they say this amounts to an enormous, and we've skipped down a little bit. So she goes, uh, this amounts to an enormous missed opportunity to learn about the disease. Because what they found was the CT cycles, um, when it starts to pick up the replicating DNA, it does it in an exponential way so that like one more cycle could mean a tremendous amount more of information is being produced. Hmm. So depending on how the many cycles you're doing cycles. is going to decide whether your test is positive or negative. Oh. So they're trying to figure out the threshold. So if they say if the threshold is here, that gives us an idea of people who have a um it only took so many cycles to get to a threshold where we see they have the virus. 
the more cycles you do exponentially, more stuff is going to be created, mm -hmm. which means that the test may be positive, but only because the genetic information has been uh, redoubled so many times that it, it's, it, it makes it seem like it's a positive test when it's not really a dangerous Like when you're doing situation. a crayon rubbing, if you go to a, like um, some kind of cool wall or plaque and you want to do a crayon rubbing of the plaque, like we used to go to old gravestones and do crayon rubbings of old gravestones. You put a piece yeah, of paper sure, over sure. it and you've got the embossed lettering on the gravestone and you rub the crayon over it and you have to rub the crayon over it a certain number of times for the letters to start showing up. But if you rub the crayon over the letters too many times, it just becomes this massive blacked Red, out drawing. Yeah, or blacked, right. Uh, I saw a red crayon for some reason. Um, this goes. I was actually thinking blue crayon in my uh, mind. I don't know why I said black. Crazy though. man. Yeah. Um, so further in the article, they say, it's just kind of mind-blowing to me that people are not recording the CT values from all these tests, that they're just returning a positive or a negative, said Angela Rasmussen, a virologist at Columbia University in New York. It would be useful information to know if somebody's positive, whether they have a high viral load or a low viral load, she added. Officials at the Wadsworth Center, New York's state lab, have access to CT values from tests that they have processed and analyzed their numbers at the time's request. Mm. So people were not analyzing the numbers. And also different labs were testing at different RT numbers. Oh, my goodness. So some labs were cycling the the 35. test data through thirty five times, thirty seven, which means they're oh. all right. So <laughs> right. So at the time's request, they took a look at the CT values to see how high the viral load is on these people who tested positive. In July, the lab identified seven hundred and ninety four positive tests based on a threshold of forty cycles. Okay. With a cutoff of 35, about half of those tests would no longer qualify as positive. Just people, like, you all know we have viruses and bacteria in us all the time. Right. So at a certain, at a tiny, only smaller, slightly, bleh, at only a slightly lower test cycling amount, you would have just been another average Joe who happened to breathe in some virus, which is what we do all the time. Right. So it says with a cutoff of 35, about half of those tests would no longer qualify as positive. About 70% would no longer be judged positive if the cycles were limited to 30. Wow. In Massachusetts... From, it makes you wonder which amount of cycles is the right amount of cycles. Right. So in Massachusetts, from 85 to 90% of people who tested positive in July with a cycle threshold of 40 would have been deemed negative if the threshold were 30 cycles, Dr. Mina said. I would say that none of those people should have been contact traced, not one. So I'll go further. Other experts informed of these numbers were stunned. I'm really shocked that it could be that high. The proportions of people with high CT value results, said Dr. Uh, uh, Ahish Jha, mm. director of the Harvard Global Health Institute. Boy, does it really change the way we need to be thinking about testing. Dr. Jha said that he had thought of the PCR test as a problem because it cannot scale to the volume, frequency, or speed of the test needed. But what I'm realizing is that a really substantial part of the problem is that we're not even testing the people who we need to be testing. As in, we should have just automatically tested all the at-risk groups, right? Yes. We should be testing, we, should, we know who's at risk. Right. 
we, we it's been in the it's been in the U.S. for six months. It's been known. In the world it's been known to be on the planet for almost a year. Yeah. Like we know who is most at risk. Mm -hmm. We know the age groups and the pre-existing conditions that make people the most at risk. And we should be testing those people and providing them with services that they need to keep themselves safe. Right. So I've added uh, Miss Heemstra's um, Twitter page to our comment feed because she goes down the rabbit hole of what is the PCR test and how it works and mm. what these RT cycles mean. So knowing that information makes this New York Times article much more salient to me. Incredible. Um so when I see my friends and other folks um, talking about it with alarming tones that we have high numbers of cases, mm -hmm. after knowing this information, it's hard for me to, I'm not sure how to talk to my friends at that point yeah. because I don't want to say, you're foolish for feeling that way because this is what we're dealing with. And is, that's this is a lot about feelings about what's going on yeah. and not what is actually going on. At some point, you've just got to pick someone that you trust, right? <sighs> and just like so few people. I mean, I think this is really a theme of the conversation today. Like mm. so many people want to know who they can trust and then... At a certain point in your life, you pick some people that you think you can trust and you let those people help you find other people that you think you can trust by following the rabbit trail from their sources to their sources. And what do you do if you are confronted with the possibility that the people you chose to be trustworthy in your life were lying to you? This is having been one of those people, having been a person who thought that ABC, CBS, NBC back in the day before CNN was a bar of truthful information. Journalism. Did it used to be? I think the sense of trust was greater. I know it was greater when I was when it was the three networks. Mm -hmm. uh, the sense of trust was there, and so it was easier to have a unified perspective because you did have a bar of credibility. I saw it on the news, and that meant something. Um, it's not so much that now. There's a lot of sources. There's a lot of competition for clicks and eyeballs. I don't think we pay our journalists who are actually doing investigative journalism. Mm -hmm. We tend to pay pundits who have feelings about the stories mm -hmm. and tell you about their feelings about the story more than they do actually give you deep contextual information. Somebody like Rachel Maddow is one of those people who is a journalist who does deep contextual storytelling yeah so she's, she's like here's what's happening right now current issue and here's the history putting it into context mm -hmm. that kind of journalism i think we're missing uh and i i cite rachel maddow because she is on a mainstream uh platform people tend to she's probably trust one of, her one because she's the, on a mainstream platform probably one of the best out there on that platform Definitely right most now. Loved. Yes. <laughs> I have a problem with her work because it often sits within a paradigm that I'm not living in. Mm -hmm. It's well, working from a different paradigm than I'm working from in terms of um, the idea of this sort of corporately run war is necessary paradigm. I think she's fallen prey to the insistences of the people paying her. And I think... 
$30,000 a day is a lot of persuasion. Like, just like any entertainer, you get tempted to do things that make people watch you more. You want to have good numbers. Whether you're on a network or you're a YouTuber or you're an Instagram influencer, you tend to start doing content that makes people like you more. So this is the issue that I really want to sort of bounce back to throughout the show, or as long as we're talking about this topic, is the idea of panic. It, I've heard two different perspectives today on people who have ideas around how to reduce panic in the population, which is part of the problem. When you're panicking, you're not taking the time to get good information. Mm. Often in a panic mode, you just go to consume things that that verify your panic. Right. Uh, so there's there's two different approaches on how to reduce panic. One approach is look at the data, look at the charts, mm -hmm. look at the progression of the disease and the demise of the disease, look at who's at risk and who's not at risk. Months ago, we didn't exactly know. Today, we have more information. Way so, more information now. So now we can say, okay, we don't really need to be wearing masks at schools because those kids are not really at risk and it's actually they're feeding the herd immunity uh, wave by uh, being not at risk people con contracting the disease. So that's that's the the calming perspective is that if you're not at risk, you actually should get the disease. Just like chickenpox. Because that is how, but not just like chickenpox. Because you oh. you may get chickenpox and have chickenpox. Yeah. You might get coronavirus and not suffer anything from coronavirus. Right, if right. If you're not in a risk group. When we did chicken pox parties as a child, you would eventually spend a week or two itching red bumps. But if you but get coronavirus, many people, most people are getting coronavirus and never knowing they like had it. Like over 90% of people on the planet are encountering SARS-CoV-2 and never have any knowledge that they've had it going through their system. So the idea is the phenomena, the scientific phenomena that has been... Um, observed is that there was a people were saying 60 percent it would be, have to hit 60 percent of the population in the u.s in order to achieve herd immunity the data that i've been getting uh and that i see being increasingly confirmed is it's closer to 15 to 20 percent mm. 15 to 20 percent of, the, of population the population of the planet yeah because viruses don't care about county lines no nope, nope, just america um <laughs> There are some stats that I wanted to share around that because I thought they were kind of revealing. And I think it's I think having some numbers are, are useful sometimes. Um, one of those things is that looking at to get to the saturation point where there's no more excess deaths. People may be dying of COVID, but it's fallen in within right. a sort of expected death rate for the day. Like, and to, to interject briefly, briefly, like um, now that cars have been invented... People are going to die from car accidents. Yes. Now that COVID is here, people will continue to die from COVID. People, people are going are, to continue to are die. At risk for that yeah. virus. Right. Um, so we're never going to go back to a world where there aren't people dying from SARS-CoV-2. This herd immunity thing seems to be working out to around 25 to 500 cases, uh, 25 to, or no, 250 to 500 people per million. What does, what does, can, can you rephrase that? What does that, what's that 250, about? once you get to 250 to 500 deaths per million folk. Okay. That's when the virus levels out. So, so they've observed that from all these hotspots. As the death rate declines, down. once we get down to about 200. No. 
No. What they're saying is once we've reached a threshold. Oh, once we of get 250 up to. 250 to 500 million people per million. 500 people per million. That's when it goes beyond the excess death line. And, and we are no longer having excess deaths because of a virus. Oh, okay. So, so that's the 15 to 20% that they're talking about. They're saying, they're saying, yo, people are going to keep dying from viruses, including yes. SARS-CoV-2. Right. And as long as it stays under 250 to 500 deaths per million, then that's normal death rates. What they're saying is that it's probably not going to go higher than that. That is the peak limit for the virus to virus. Virus is going to virus. They don't care. That's what they're finding. Okay. Um, so... There, he, uh, this guy, Michael Levitt, he's got a new, I'll put a video up. They, they just did an interview with him. He made some predictions and he's being called out for some of his predictions. Okay. He predicted that the death rate would um, level out before 170 and we've gone over 170. So in the says, U.S.? Yeah. So he said, okay, I should have put a range in there. Right. But basically by setting a deadline, it put a big flag on his head and everybody started watching the numbers very closely. So, it so turns that they out, could discredit everything else that he had said because that's yes, what we like to do. Right. So what? Uh, I, there's a nice video. It's about 40 minutes where he's being interviewed by some cat who sort of made him famous with the first interview. Okay. Where he was talking about stats. He was talking about the stats of the virus and how he's seeing that the virus is following most other viruses. There's a peak and then it goes down. There's a ceiling to what the virus can do before herd immunity happens and the virus no longer uh, has the uh, ability to strike people so uh, strongly mm -hmm. as the immunity builds up. This is what happens with viruses all the time. It happens all the time. And so he was just looking at the numbers, trying to figure out where the graph was, and he started making some predictions. He's a Nobel Prize laureate. He has some theories on how this stuff is working. Stanford and Harvard. Stanford and Harvard. Uh, Oxford. I thought it was Oxford there, too. Anyway, uh, he's at All big Stanford ones. and Oxford. Yeah, yeah, that means something. <laughs> so he has suddenly became sort of like a noted person in this storyline because he stuck his neck out and made some predictions. And he's still sticking by his prediction. He predicted uh, Astrid Selling from... Uh, Sweden. Sweden is here with us in the house on our comment section. He basically said Sweden is is going to we're going to find that they're not going to suffer any worse than anybody else in spite of not having to, done lockdowns and masks and closing schools and mm -hmm. closing businesses. Their curve is pretty much the same as everybody else's curve. So he's the guy that said their curve is probably going to work out about the same. Virus and, is going to virus. And it seems to be the case right now. Uh, as of this week, Sweden is back to a baseline of expected death. They're no longer doing ex excess deaths because of the virus is what I understand is this week. Astrid says, Sweden's National Health Department does reports in the TV and radio at 2 p.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh, updates. The, the head of the department described a problem with a specific Chinese lab that a lot of regions and countries use. And I think she's referring back to the, p the testing problem. Uh -huh. um, so I'd be curious to hear more about, so are you saying Sweden is sending its tests away to China to get tested? Or mm. what are we talking about? Or maybe it's a test run by Chinese people in Sweden. I don't know. And she also said Sweden is down to two to three deaths per day, hmm. but there is a spread among young adults after the holidays. Hmm. It seems to be already leveling out and not going up. That seems to be all the data. Uh, they're finding 
more and more information that doesn't matter if you locked out. So they, they instituted masks in England and cases dramatically started to spike. So when people said they instituted masks in late March and deaths went down, people said it's down because of the masks. So then you also must say that when they instituted masks in England and deaths went up, that the masks yeah. were causing the deaths. You don't just get to pick which correlations you like, guys. Let's take a little brief break and talk about correlation versus causation. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So this is not easy. It's not easy. I have a great song for the top of the hour. Um, oh. It's basically, shouldn't it be easy? And it's not. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. We have a conversation that Dark's going to share f anonymously from a friend of his later on yeah. um, about um, that why can't you make it easier to understand? Mm. And there's only a certain level that we can make it easier to understand. When we break down what we've worked on all week and put it into simple statistics with what we think is the interpretation of those statistics, people have been like, why aren't you sharing your sources? Who are you to say those numbers? What are you even interpreting? Blah, blah, blah. And so then we started sharing more broad statistical data and yeah. less direct interpretations of what we thought that statistics meant. And now people are like, why can't you make it more simple? And it's like, <laughs> well, when someone is making it simple for you, they are taking a vast amount of data and turning it into a phrase and you just have to trust them on that phrase. Right. And you do it to a lot of people all the time. You trust people on their interpretive phrases. Mm -hmm. But anybody that you're trusting on an interpretive phrase is getting second, third, fourth, fifth hand information and interpretations of data from somewhere else. And what Dark and I do is we pull in a lot of data from a lot of different sources and interpretations from a lot of different experts. Mm. And then we distill those into our own interpretations and our own data and share those with you guys. We also share a lot of sources on our post-Orthodoxy Facebook page. We're doing our best to make it simple and also, it doesn't matter how simple you make something. If you don't want to know those facts, you're just going to find a way to reject what we're saying. And that's not me being aggressive. That's just a human thing. If somebody presents you with information that doesn't match the way that you think reality is, it's a natural animal instinct to need to defend yourself from that new information. Mm. It destabilizes you to think you yes. might have been lied to. Ooh. That's a rough one, man. It's really rough. It's really rough to find out somebody you trust made you think that reality is a way that it maybe isn't and that you've been operating that way. So we go back and forth and in and out on this show and we try to make it as educational and helpful as possible. We're educating ourselves and helping ourselves. And one thing we also want to talk about later on today is our motivations for why, right. why, are, why do we keep going at this thing? Why can't you just shut up and wear a mask? Because even if you just wear a mask and stay home, at least if we find out it was all a scam at the end, we will have been doing the right thing all along. Mm -hmm. So we need to talk about our motivations for why we're doing this. But sure. I wanted to jump into correlation versus causation yeah, briefly because it's really important. So hot weather causes shark attacks. Mm. That's someone taking a correlation and turning it into a causation. Yeah. There are more shark attacks when it's hot outside. Mm -hmm. However, there's a piece of data in between hot weather and shark attacks that is the actual causation. And that is that when it is hot, more people get into the water where sharks live and there are more shark attacks. Right. So oftentimes correlations are presented as causations 
And that's something that we have to do scientifically. You see some data happening and you see some other data happening and you can't argue with the data. Right. Um, Japan had very few cases and Japan also wears masks all the time. That's two sets of data that are happening at the same time. Two other sets of data that are happening at the same time is that England started wearing masks and England cases started going up. Those two sets of data are also happening at the same time, but they're not saying masks caused cases to go up in England the way that people are saying masks caused cases to go down in Japan. They're both correlations. Oh, speaking of, yes. We're both, we're, in both cases, we're missing information in between point A and point B. Right. In that information, there's a little, mm, you know, I, I follow some folks on Twitter that are talking about this. Uh, Daniel Levitt, who's the son of Michael Levitt, uh, gives this example. He says the population, because this is, this is what I hear, like, see, the people in Japan wear masks all the time, mm-hmm. and so they had fewer cases. Which they is had a, fewer deaths. They, they had fewer think deaths, right? people are thinking, you know, okay. That's the correlation. The correlation is I see fewer deaths, I see more masks. Therefore, Maybe those things are connected. All right, so the population in Japan is 126 million. Uh, the COVID deaths were about 10 per million. In Japan. In Japan. The percentage of obese in Japan are 4%. That is also some data happening at the same time. USA is 328 million. COVID deaths about 183,000 or 558 per million. So in Japan, it was 10 deaths per million. Yeah. And in the US, it's 553 deaths per million. 558... 558 deaths per million. Um, Percentage of obese is 40%. So if we were going to be really scientific about it, we could also look at that correlation data. He says, if the U.S. had the same obesity as Japan, we would have only 3,280 COVID deaths. 179,720 lives would have been saved. So that's him being a little snarky. Right. That is also... A correlation. Yes. Now, we do know from the death data that obesity is a pre-existing conditional factor that causes people's immune systems to be so stressed out they can't handle a virus. Yep. We know from the data that people who are obese are way more high at risk to die from SARS-CoV-2 than people who are not struggling with obesity. Right. So you're going to see different numbers according to the health of the country and the community. Etc. Also, the pollution thing. So, what I'm interested in talking about today is panic and trust. Mm. Like, people are panicking. And they want to know who to trust. And they want to know who to trust. And so, we hope we can trust the, the red, white, and blue glowing people <laughs> on CNN or whatever. They have all this sort of crazy red, white, and blue flickering. Behind them. All the time. Those are the trust colors in the U.S. Those are the trust colors. So, you trust the red, white, and blue people. And they're going to tell you what's going on. But what I see is um, dire tones when they announce the case count. Mm -hmm. But they're not putting that case count in any kind of usable context. No useful context. So the walkaway is we have a ton of cases and that makes me feel panicked. Yes. Because it's not over and I could get it or my loved ones could get it. So if we trusted that source, that panic might be well-founded. Right. 
I don't trust those sources because I don't see them actually delivering contextualized information and new information as it comes up. So as what I want is a, I want to, I want to take away. I want to be able to read some information about what's going on with this virus and walk away feeling like I know a little bit about what's going on. So okay. I go through a lot of sources and what I am walking away with <laughs> is that this virus is following the, the path of other viruses. Viruses going virus. And so what I'm also walking away with is the death rate at this point globally is far lower than what we were led to believe this virus could have been. Mm. So we now know the virus is not as dangerous as we were told it was. Now we know the virus didn't warrant lockdowns. We know now. Or shuttering school. We know that now. We know now that those measures did not make any difference in how many people right. were going to die. We found that masks and uh, the lockdowns have a very similar course as people who did not do masks and did not do lockdowns. To clarify, countries and regions and states and yeah. counties and countries and whatever who didn't do masks or lockdowns had the exact same curve. It's the same curve. The virus much. is going to virus. There are differences in the curve because of seasonality, because mm -hmm. of weather, because of uh, population densities, etc. But overall, right. across the world, the big graph, the virus is doing what viruses usually do. Mm -hmm. So I, t I walk away with that feeling like, okay, it's not continuing to go nuts. We're getting a lot of cases, but the deaths are going down in the United States, they've been going down globally since March. Mm -hmm. So the danger of this thing being something that's going to kill us all, as we were sort of told in the beginning with the sky is falling kind of reports, uh, was unfounded. And now and we know better, and that's great. Now we know better, and that's great. Well, so, yeah. I mean, we knew better a few months ago. We did know better a few months ago. Because it hit other parts of the planet first. First, so we could watch it go. And we could look at how yeah. those other parts of the planet were handling it. By the time the U.S. was enforcing lockdowns and masks, we already we already had enough data about the virus to know that lockdowns and masks weren't going to make a difference in how many people died. Right. But that information was not being dispelled on mainstream news sources or by the U.S. government. So this goes back to the issue of panic. There's two different ideas on how to help people who are panicking on a social level. And a lot of these ideas come way back from, from Bernays-style public relations stuff. I, I don't think is necessarily maybe the best models to be using. But there's two different models on how to handle, how to handle societal panic over a pandemic. One model is the strong-armed model, mm -hmm. which is you lock everybody down, you tell them that you're doing everything that you can, you monitor numbers very closely, and then people then who are into authoritarianism or who like being known that there's a strong daddy figure taking care of business mm -hmm. that they feel taken care of because of the stridentness of the actions. That mm -hmm. makes them feel safe. Big gestures make you think something's being done. Another avenue is look at the data try to get an idea of where it's been where it's going connect with other stories in the past assess different information understand the situation mm -hmm. so like the understanding that i'm not in a risk group i'm on the edge of a risk group but i'm fairly healthy i don't have any comorbidities that i know of mm -hmm. i should want to get the virus yes i should want to have it even if it has mild things because it's ultimately going to protect me in the long run if mm -hmm. i get it 
and survive it. Mm-hmm. So I should want to get that virus. That's the other, that's what makes me feel less panic is I understand the risk of the virus to me personally, mm-hmm. the risk of the virus to people who I love who are in risk groups, mm-hmm. and then I can deal with them accordingly, yes. deal with me accordingly. You should not be following the same procedures as our friend with kidney failure. Exactly. Now I know how to handle this. So that now I feel like I'm not going to panic because I know how to behave. But we're, listening, we're living in a world where these two realities are side by side, each other, where... People who are listening to the authoritative voice are panicked by the people who are not listening to the authoritative voice. Right. Because it threatens the validity of that voice. Well, they say it's because they're worried that you're not doing the right thing and you might kill us. That's but what, what it feels like. What what the deeper feeling is, um, it, wait, if you can choose something else, then maybe that means... I could be choosing something else, which means that the source that I think is helping me live my life isn't the only thing I should be looking into, and that makes life complicated. Right. So I, in terms of reducing panic, it, it makes things a little difficult right now because people who are looking at the new data are not concerned which scares the hell out of people who are concerned because they look so cavalier. Mm. I don't want to come across as, I I think people have misinterpreted my take on our updates on this virus every week as being cavalier, not caring that people are dying. Mm. I tend to be a little, uh, people do die. We have, I think they say the average death rate, normal death rate. In the U.S. Is about 50 to 55,000 people per week. Per week in the U.S. Normally. Yeah, humans do die, old folks especially. And sick people. And sick people who have problems yeah. die. So people are dying all the time. It sucks. I'm sorry That's about my friends that have Lyme's disease. Yes. And I'm really sad that they are way more susceptible to illnesses than me. Uh, insurance company have metrics like if I was 70 and I needed a new heart, there's medical guidelines that say, mm, I think we're going to give that heart to somebody who's in their 30s or 40s. Right, because... Get more miles out of it that way. Yeah. That's just Sorry. pragmatic the way medicine works. It's there's not a, politically yeah. correct to say that's the way medicine works. Mm-hmm. But that's the way medicine works. You know that, you know, it's just a matter of economics. Right. We there aren't the heart, a ton of hearts. Right. Are we going to give the heart another five years to live? Or are we going to give this heart maybe another 50 years to live? Right. It's just economics. So, yes, when you get older and more frail, you die. And this thing comes along and hits those folks worst. Mm-hmm. And that's a tragedy. And it's unfortunate. I've been hoping to get some data from a friend of the show who mentioned that in previous pan that this is the first pandemic where deaths involving the virus over like age 80 have been included in the death count. Yes. She said, and she's been looking for her source and hasn't been able to find it again, but she said that she had been reading that in previous pandemics, health officials wouldn't count deaths involving the virus over like 85 or 80 because Anything could have offed those people. If it wasn't going to be SARS-CoV-2, it was going to be influenza A and B the next season. Right. Like, you're just 
in a group that is most likely to die when when the environment changes in some kind yes, of way. Right. Unfortunately. Um, and so I'm really curious to find out if we can find a source on uh, whether or not death rates for previous pandemics, SARS, MERS, the Spanish flu, things like that, uh, were included in uh, if, if elderly death rates were included. Because she said it, what the article was saying was that in previous pandemics, elderly people dying during that time were just marked as natural causes because it's understood that elderly people die when viruses come along. Right, but it's become a political football now. So if you talk about the virus in pragmatic terms, you hate old people. Right. If we're going to talk about the virus practically. In a medical, we, practical, a medical, scientific way. Like, like, yes. Anyway. Do you want to know what's going on? Yes. So it's, um, there's a lot of lenses through which to look at this situation, which makes it really difficult. And I understand it's not an easy labyrinth to negotiate to find out what is going on this week? What do we know about this virus? Mm -hmm. It's a difficult thing to do. So that's part of the panic trust thing that I'm really chewing on right now. How do you trust the information that you're... How do I trust the information that I'm getting? Well, I listen to a Nobel laureate. He tells me some stuff, which leads me to an article, which then leads me to a doctor on a Twitter feed. An hour-long video. Yeah, it, I'm going through a lot of sources to try to triangulate and find mm -hmm. out common ground and things that make sense to me. Now, that's where people get upset. Is right. Who are you to have an opinion if you don't have a tie or a title or a degree or a Nobel Peace Prize? Or And I want to talk like, about that a lot in the second hour. I also want to address a question from Astrid. She said, isn't, uh, isn't that a problem to describe the virus as having behaviors? Mm. Is the virus actually doing things or is it people's behavior being in crowded places, not keeping distances, washing hands, etc.? The virus is there and will be for a long time. And I want to get into that and we're not going to get into it right now. We're going to get it in the next hour. We're going to get into it in the next hour. That's a very good question because it has to do with germ theory versus bioterrain theory, which is really Ooh. important. Do you stay healthy by keeping bad things away from you? Uh, we're going to take a break. And listen to We Are The City's song called Dark Horizon, which I thought was really fitting for this show. It's got a phrase in it that says, shouldn't it be easy? I want to mm. give up the fight. Mm -hmm. um, and thank you so much to everybody who's listening to KBMF LP Butte. Post-Orthodoxy will be back in just a moment. Please stay tuned.
KBMF is supported by Square Peg Custom Framing, a nonprofit frame shop offering custom framing of works of art, family photographs, and more. They also carry locally made art, clothing, and other items. Square Peg Custom Framing is open Tuesday through Saturday at 68 West Park Street in the historic Phoenix Building. All right. Welcome back to the show. We're back. So, second hour. Yes. Welcome to Post-Orthodoxy Part 2. Are you ready? Yes. For Hour 2? Yes. Can we address Astrid's comment to start? Please, please. Okay, so Astrid, uh, our foreign correspondent from Sweden, (laughs) (laughs) we haven't seen her on the show in a long time. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. It's really nice. She said, isn't it a problem to describe this virus as having behaviors? Mm. Is the virus actually doing anything, or isn't it that people's behaviors are causing problems, such as being in crowded places, not keeping your distance, and washing hands? So, (sighs) germ theory says, if you want to stay healthy, you have to keep bad things out of you. Yeah, avoid the virus. And bacteria and demons and sin. Right. And, you know. Avoid bad things. In order to be healthy, keep bad stuff out of you. Right. That was invented a long time ago Mm -hmm. when we didn't know very much about the body compared to all the things that we know about the body and the environment of the planet now. Mm -hmm. And the person who invented germ theory. Louis. Louis himself. Pasteur. Said you know what, that's not the only story. On his deathbed, he said, that's not the whole case. That's not the whole case. I said it was the whole thing. And Louis Pasteur's studies and inventions and experiments saved a lot of lives. Yes. We really, really do need surgeons to wash their hands and wear gloves when they're putting their fingers into people's abdominal cavities. It's a good idea to wear a mask when doing open cavity surgery so you don't drool on them. It's really important to wear a mask when you're visiting somebody who's on a ventilator. Right. 
that's not the entire story about how human bodies interact with the planet. There's more to the story? There's more to the story. What what else could there be? Well, for instance, at least five pounds of any given human is made up of things that are not you. Bacteria. Viruses. Viruses. Other viruses weigh that much? Other genetic material, other from, genetic material. from other things on mm. the planet. We're not just, just a lot human. of organisms running around on us. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and also almost everybody yes. has para- parasites. Right, right. <laughs> but the microbiome, we, we, are, we, we don't live in bubbles. And we've sort of started mm. acting like humans live in a little bubble. And in order to be healthy, we need to keep other things on the planet out of our bubble, including the literal sun. The virus. Oh, yeah, the sun. <laughs> right. Um, we... Whether you think we were designed to be on the planet mm. or we evolved to live on the planet, mm. we're supposed to be a part of this environment. As a whole, yeah. Yeah, we're a part of it. Mm-hmm. And we don't stay healthy by keeping Separated ourselves separate from, from what's going on on the planet. Whether you think God made us and put us here on purpose or we evolved to work with this environment, we're not supposed to just live in a bubble on the planet with all the stuff. Viruses Systems, yeah. do the same things all the time. They, they do have stuff that they do. Bacteria does have stuff that it does. For instance, the influenza A and B viruses mutate all the time. Yes. They, we can't get a reliable one-size-fits-all-forever vaccine for influenza A and B. Because they're constantly changing to survive on the planet. Right, which then is also up mutating us. Mm -hmm. Those viruses are mutating us to not be so susceptible to their further mutations. So I've been against hand sanitizer for far longer than the last year. Yeah, (laughs) Um, We're not, you don't stay healthy by living in a bubble. People who have autoimmune diseases, and more people probably have autoimmune complications than think that they do, Mm. need to be behaving differently on the planet than normal folks who are not having an autoimmune problem. Right. And even your autoimmune disease, from what I understand, is not you being in danger of stuff outside of you. It's you being in danger of how your body protects you from stuff outside of you. You are immune to yourself. You are, I mean, I should say you are having a problem with your own immune system and Mm. how it treats you. Mm. That's what an autoimmune disease is. Mm. And you need to stay away from things that inflame your immune system because your own immune system is making you sick. Your immune system is an overdrive. Okay. It's still not that the things out there are bad. (laughs) Now, bacteria in a wound is bad. Yeah. That's a different story than a virus. Mm-hmm. Viruses moving around the planet naturally, like they do. And so, in a sense, they do have behavior. They move around the planet and share data with every organism on the planet. Mm. They move in and out of humans and animals and share data between everybody across the whole planet. You know, they don't care about that you're in the U.S. or in Italy. Right. Now, so saying isn't the problem that people are in crowds and not hand-washing and not social distancing. That would be the problem if we stayed healthy by keeping viruses out of us. I see what you're saying. Hand-washing, social distancing, and mask use would be a problem if we stayed healthy by keeping viruses out of our bodies. 
which is well, a whole topic that we've covered a couple of times. We don't stay healthy by keeping viruses out of us, and we don't even stay healthy by keeping ourselves from encountering very much of a virus. You will get sick from any amount of a virus if your immune system is already weak. Well, I think there's a caveat here. Okay, go ahead. So this is a novel virus. So I think what Sweden did was like, we have a novel virus. So some of us don't have immunity to this. A lot of us are going to be way susceptible to this. Yeah. That's where you wash your hands a lot and stay out of the crowded places while herd immunity is being developed. Mm-hmm. Then, yes. Then, because there are people who are going to be most at risk. I mean, Which involves being aware of your own health issues. Right. And it involves having enough money to work with a doctor to know your own mm-hmm. health issues. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that they have allergies. Allergies inflame your immune system, which makes it weaker than it needs to be to handle the normal passage of a virus through the body. Mm. Seasonal or food allergies. Um, being in an area that has a lot of pollution weakens your immune system. Any inflammatory response is weakening your immune system because your virus is weak from dealing with lots of pollution particulate. It's not able to handle the normal passage of a virus through your microbiome. Mm. Um, Having a high-stress problem, whether it's a chronic high-stress situation such as a job or an acute high-stress situation such as suddenly having to move or getting in a car accident. Usually it's chronic stress problems. Those weaken your immune system over time. Stress, it causes an inflammatory response in the body such as acid reflux or ulcers or hives. Mm. And it also weakens your immune system, which means your immune system can't handle the normal passage of a virus through your microbiome like a healthy human could. You don't become... You don't develop pneumonia from a virus because the virus was getting you. You develop pneumonia from a virus because your immune system could not handle the virus like it normally would be able to handle it. You were already sick in some way. And there's a name for that. It's called terrain, bioterrain theory. Yeah. Which I think is a nice complement to germ theory, not a rival to germ theory. They work together. Is that, yeah, viruses are going to go around. You might get it bad if you are susceptible to... Uh, inflammation. Yeah. And that's if your bioterrain. That's your bioterrain mm-hmm. that has become compromised and then ends up having an adverse reaction to a virus. Right. The, the same. That's another way of looking at it then. You were just fine. And then suddenly virus came and got you. I think there's this idea that we're way healthier in the U.S. than we actually are. Right. People, people have bad sleep, chronic stress, pain, yeah. ulcers. Um, skin problems, back pain, allergies that they don't have the money to take care of, hives, acid reflux, Mm. all the time. And then they say, no, I'm perfectly healthy. He was perfectly healthy, and then he got sick. In context with what we consider healthy. (laughs) We have a way low baseline for what is healthy in the U.S. We are highly inflamed all the time. Unfortunately, a lot of the foods that are legal in the U.S. have chemicals and processing products in them that make them highly inflammatory to the immune system and are illegal in other countries. What are you, a conspiracy nut? No, these are facts. Uh Uh-huh. Like you can you can go online and find side by side nutrition fact screenshots from um, orange juice in the U.S. versus orange juice in Italy, Mm-mm-mm. and there are completely different ingredients. And the ingredients that are allowed in the, for instance, orange juice in the U.S. is colored with red dye, which we already know is an inflammatory response that causes mm. mental health problems, and it has been like that for years. In the in Italy, orange juice is dyed with beet juice. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. 
there are so many things in this country that are illegal and documentedly bad for you that are, I should say, that are illegal in other countries. Mm. So anyway, uh, take some time and look into your inflammation levels. Do you have joint pain? Do you have gut problems? Do you have headaches? All of these are indicative of joint problems. I mean of inflammation. And if you have inflammation, then your immune system is weaker than it should be, Mm -mm. which means when a virus gets to you because they're always getting in and out of you, your immune system isn't going to be able to keep it at normal levels. That's, uh, that sounds like something to follow, some advice. It's based on a lot of research. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, you know, you can find it. You could go find that research. And we share a lot of that research on our post-Orthodoxy Facebook page as well. So I hope that answers Astrid's question. Um, viruses do have pathways of behavior that they take. They're not technically alive, but they live and exist on the planet and travel around. And we know how they travel and we know how they behave in bodies. And the current science of keep yourself away from viruses is not actually what keeps us healthy. I, I haven't seen much evidence of that. Yeah. Uh, there seems to be a growing body of evidence that our procedures to keep people from panicking, which is either the sort of authoritarian lockdown approach or the other approach. Spreading quality information and saying yeah. everything's fine. Right. That both of those situations are, I forget where I was going with this. Those are two ways that we've been handling this. And one of the ways... Like, so the people who are not into the authoritarian approach, people who are like, I don't, if the government says this is the best thing for you and you already didn't trust the government. Then you're not going to like it. Then you're not going to like the information and you're going to be skeptical of that information. And vice versa. If the government was the thing in your life that you chose to trust and they say, wear a mask, then you'll be like, ah, somebody knows what's going on. Radio, right. That's something I can do and I trust this source. Yes. So this is the problem is where we have different perspectives of our governing bodies and our media bodies. Mm-hmm. So we're fighting each other over our different perspectives and our different approaches. It seems like all those approaches from the information that I've gathered are really just something to layer over a natural process that has is lining up with other natural processes. So we've created a lot of narrative around this virus. Mm-hmm. It's very public. Making it something big in our heads Mm -hmm. that doesn't match with what it is in track with other viruses. We have a bigger story. It's not living up to the hype. We have a bigger story about the virus than what is actually going on. Way bigger. Like we've never tested so many people for the flu before ever in the history of the planet. Right. So this constant um, mythology that we are going to control death is the narrative that we are running under. When the reality of the virus is the virus doesn't care about what we're doing. It's just doing what it usually does as a virus. And so maybe everybody staying home and ordering groceries in for three months seems to be keeping numbers down. Whenever people go back out into society, which we inevitably have to do, the same curve is going to happen. Yes. The virus... I don't know how many times I can say that without it being redundant. Well, that's pretty redundant. Uh, virus going to virus. I think it's important. There's, there's, a, there's an exchange that I saw this morning. So we started off the show talking about this new CDC updated death count. Which I shared a link to in our Facebook feed. Where if you just even Google hashtag 6%. You can, you can also find it by looking up daily 
provisional death counts yes. for coronavirus disease. Right. That should take you to the CDC pays. So this this updated thing that says 6% of the reported deaths in the United States from coronavirus, uh, only 6% were from coronavirus alone. And that's led to a firestorm of discussions around people's perspectives about mm-hmm. what's going on. Say I wanted that to, one more time. Yeah, I wanted to share an exchange between two friends of mine okay. who I value their their approach mm-hmm. to trying to gather information. I also don't necessarily agree with all their points of view, but I value their diligence to try to find information. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine shared that information, which is the death count only being 6% of the death count. And there's a rabbit hole to go down around all that. But I wanted to read some of the exchange between him and a friend. And I'll just leave them nameless because some people have just decided that they don't want the controversy. So these are just folks on my feed here. So somebody said, what are you saying, Douglas? So when he says only 6% died solely of the coronavirus, Mm -hmm. what are you saying, Douglas? Actually, what you're saying that the numbers don't add up to be a pandemic? Are you saying this is all some kind of elaborate farce? (laughs) <laughs> so that's where people jump. Right there. Right. Oh, you think coronavirus is a hoax? Like, no, it's no. The virus exists. So, and my, so do the illnesses. My friend, I'll just call him Doug. My friend Doug uh, said, no, it's a pandemic. But it is a much milder virus than was suggested. It's a pandemic in that it spreads easily. It just isn't deadly, a deadly virus to 99.5% of the population. So, yes, it is a farce that we are being held under control of the corporate state while it crushes independent and small business sectors and consolidates its power throughout the globe. Mm. So that's his perspective, is that the virus wasn't as deadly as we were told it was, and yet, even though we know that, Mm -hmm. small businesses are still closing down, people are getting poorer and poorer because they can't go back to regular work, artists are being decimated, uh, so, and who benefits from that? Well, we've already seen the numbers of who's benefiting from that. Jeff well, Bezos as soon as you start talking, as soon as you start talking about who benefits from global death, yeah. you start sounding like a kook because people are like, they're so, not, they're not just going to cause global death. So there's a there's a article. We'll, we'll just jump over to this article real quick, and we'll go back to that exchange in a second. There's an article from. Um, the American Institute of Economic Research. Now, if you're involved in economics, you're following this pandemic very closely because all of our economic models are going to be impacted by this condition. So Michael Levitt, one of the guys that I follow a lot for his, his statistical analysis of the virus, said because he's a Nobel laureate, and he was willing to go out on a limb and say, this thing's just going to virus like those other things. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much been shown to be the case. He was inundated with phone calls from people once he started getting some notoriety. He was inundated with a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of economists, wanting to consult him about more information about What can his, we expect? Well, what can we expect as economists? Right. Which, which like... If you start mentioning finances when it comes to a bunch of people dying, you you sound hey, heart, you sound heartless. It's the world but, we live in. But it's yeah. the world we live in, and we can use the data gathered by people worried about money yeah. because they're going to really find the real data. Yes. Yes. 
they have millions and billions of dollars resting on that data. So he said at some point people stopped contacting him. The economists stopped contacting him. Why? And instead started sending him information on the Gompert curve, which is this, this, these uh, models that he was using to interpret the data. They started sending him confirmation of his predictions. Okay. Saying you were right, you were right, you were right. So when I share an article from an economic magazine, people say, well, they're not medical, so what, what, what? These folks definitely have stakes in trying to figure out what's going on with this They want to know. Because the folks that are mm-hmm. really looking at the economics of this situation want to be ahead of the curve. Yeah. Right? And so there's an article they put out. Lockdowns and mask mandates do not lead to reduced COVID transmission rates or deaths, new study suggests. Hmm. So I want to read off a couple of things okay. in this article. A new National Bureau of Economic Research working paper by Andrew Ackerson and Karen Kopecky and Tauza, Tauza, okay, focused on countries and U.S. states with more than 1,000 COVID deaths as of late July. In all, the study included 25 U.S. states and 23 countries. Based on their analysis, the authors present four stylized facts about COVID-19, which are... So if you're interested in COVID facts, this is the economic version. Once a region reaches 25 total COVID deaths, within a month, the the growth rate in death per day falls to approximately zero. In other words, no matter the country or state or its policies, deaths per day stop increasing within 20 to 30 days of passing a threshold of 25 deaths. Okay. That's what they're finding across the board. Okay. Fact number two, once that happened, deaths per day either begin to fall or the trend remains flat. Fact number three, the variability in death trends across regions has fallen sharply since the beginning of the epidemic and remains low. All states studied, all countries studied, have become more similar in their trends and have remained so. And this is the fourth fact. Observations one through three suggest that the effective reproduction number, the R, has hovered around one worldwide after the first 30 days of the epidemic. The paper's conclusion is that the data trends observed above likely indicate the non-pharmaceutical interventions, that non-pharmaceutical interventions such as lockdowns, closures, travel restrictions, stay-at-home orders, event bans, quarantines, curfews, and mask mandates do not seem to affect virus transmission rates overall. It may slow, or and that's what we talked about in the beginning, slow the spread, right? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't it affect because those policies have varied in their timing and implementation across countries and states, but the trends and the outcomes do not vary. As in, if we lined up all of the trends of cases and deaths rising and falling, yes, and to put every area of the planet at the same start date, which they're not at the same start date. China had it first, and then Europe had it, and then Washington had it, and then the rest of the states had it. It's been spreading across the country. But if we took all of the start dates Mm -hmm. and put them all at the same spot, Mm -hmm. and it would all be the same curve. It's all doing the same thing. And, of course, the curve might seem higher in a country that has a lot more civilians, but it is the same percentage of... Right. 
citizens, yes, but it is the same percentage of population. Yes. So obviously there are more deaths in a country with a higher population. There's more deaths in higher concentrations of people as well, where there's lots of P... P- PM2, PM2 in the air. Particulate matter. Particulate matter in the air. And there are going to be some variations from country to country like we were talking about with... Um, obesity levels. Obesity levels, yeah. comorbidity age levels, levels, age levels. age levels. Italy is a super elderly country. We've known for years that Italy's birth rate was in decline and their population age was getting older and older and older. And unfortunately, it makes sense that a lot of people in Italy died. So taking that little detour from my friend's discussion, which shows that basically it doesn't matter what we're doing... We're just making up stories about what we're doing mm-hmm. in order to keep people from panicking, which you can't please everybody. So we have a very divided political country here. Mm-hmm. And so our panic over the virus has become a political panic. So if you say that the lockdowns really didn't um, inhibit the overall effects of the virus or that masks did not inhibit the overall effects of the virus, what you're saying to the left is that the right was correct. And they have to be mad about that because they need to be against the Team Red. Exactly. Now, the Red might have been correct for all the wrong reasons. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. We have to look at the data. We have to get out of right. our feelings and look at the data. So my friend Douglas goes further in another comment. He says, um, this doesn't mean that people are not dying directly due to complications from the virus. But the numbers are not nearly as big as one would expect from a deadly pandemic. If the doomsayers were right, the entire homeless population would be dropping like flies around here. He lives in the Bay Area. Considering they are also a large sector having comorbidities Mm -hmm. and serious underlying health issues. Mm -hmm. Entire sectors of the country that never closed and refused to wear a mask would be dead. We would be seeing millions dead by now, and that has not happened, nor is it going to happen. This is about other agendas. Um, And he says, this is global corporate 21st century warfare. The new corporate economy is is performing a coup of the old, and the pandemic is its means. So when you have economic, the economic class, the people who are looking at economics, Mm -hmm. And they find the good thread of information that over time pans out to be true. They are designing the world around people who are still going off of mask data, lockdown suggestions, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, number spike fears. The financial people yes. are already making new plans for how to manage the world financially and keep making money in the new age based on the data. So that's not a conspiracy theory. That is a conspiracy that is a conspiracy that's happening. If you want to make money, you figure out who's got the inside path. Yeah. Apparently, Michael Levitt had the inside path. And he said, this is what we can expect from this virus. It's and he's fl- turned out to be mostly true. Within a range, it is turning out mostly to be true. Mm-hmm. And they are planning their lives around his data that we are not planning our lives around. That is not what's on CNN. That's not what's on MSNBC. That's not what's on Fox. That's not what we're hearing from our local newspapers. Mm-hmm. We're just hearing... Regurgitations of everybody else. Big deaths, be afraid. Yep. No, I, I'm sorry. No more deaths, right? The I mean, deaths having the deaths have tapered the, off. The deaths are in decline. Okay, so let's not talk about deaths. Lots of cases. Yep. Be afraid. Right. Meanwhile, the economic interests of the world are already designing a post-pandemic world 
for you. And they're taking advantage of small businesses being closed down, of um, people having to redesign their education system. So it seems like we should redesign our education system. Yeah. This is a good excuse to do it. Well, people are also realizing they really don't need to be sitting at a desk from 9 to 5 to Sounds get their like job done. we need to redesign our work flow system of how we do things. There are people out there who that. are redesigning the planet. Yeah, it's all being redesigned right now. That's why we talk about the fourth industrial revolution so much. And you can be really conspiracy theory if you want to and talk about whether or not they released the virus on purpose. But whether somebody released the virus on purpose to do a global reset, there are people who are doing a global reset based on the the complete massive upheaval caused by this pandemic or rather caused by the hype around the pandemic. Right. Like one of the things that I study a lot because I'm really curious why, why wasn't MERS? Why didn't MERS kill millions of people? Like the MERS outbreak was um, also caused by a coronavirus. No, it was coronavirus. Yeah, it was MERS Cove. Okay. Um, that was in 2012, 2015, and 2018 were the outbreaks. Yep. 858 people died. Okay. And when you look at how many confirmed cases they had, so all their testing, what, they tested about 2,500 people. It was mostly in the Middle East, mm. and only 800, and 858 people of the 2,500 people tested died. And then that's it ended, and then it ended. So that's the thirty-seven percent death rate. Right. So, but again, we don't know how many people had MERS Cove that were never tested, that were never tested, or died, but weren't near anyone doing testing to see why they died. Uh, you know, like we have to keep these things in our minds. And then the SARS virus uh, outbreak, which is another coronavirus, right. SARS Cove, that was from two thousand two to two thousand and four. That also originated in China. They tested about 8,000 people okay. in order. They had confirmed cases of about 8,000 people of all the people that they tested. And we don't know how many people they tested, but about 8,000 people were confirmed to be infected with SARS-CoV mm. and 774 of those 8,000 people died. That's about a 9.2% death rate. So that's just with that small sampling of people tested. And, and, and again, we don't know how many people were infected with SARS-CoV in 2002, 2004 that didn't die or never got tested, or died somewhere where nobody tested to see why they died. Right, so the 24-hour news cycle around this virus and the unprecedented level of testing that mm. we're doing still isn't changing the shape of the viral curve. It's very similar to these other viruses. So And other more well-known, a larger pandemic virus is still right. following the same The same behavior. Yeah. Now... We're going to find, as the CDC releases more and more data, like it just released today, about how many of the how many of the positive cases that they counted as COVID cases were actually influenza cases, mm. which you can see on the CDC website now. The numbers are going to shift dramatically, and our and our actual COVID nineteen death rate is going to go down as they evaluate the data. Yep. But as it stands right now, for SARS CoV two, because the SARS outbreak right. in two thousand two was just SARS CoV. And this one, SARS-CoV-2, it also came from China. It's a mutation of the virus that was going on then, um, probably because of a bunch of bacterial, a bunch of horrible nonsense going on on a pig farm. That's that's a theory. And the yeah. virus is in reaction to the horrible stuff going on in that pig farm in China. So anyway, it's coming out of China, SARS-CoV-2, 2019 pandemic. We don't know how many people have been tested 
ncov19.live does gather up as much data as possible about how many tests have been done so you can get an idea. Like, we have 8 billion people on the planet. We've only tested about 2 billion. And of those 2 billion that we've tested, we've had about 25 million cases that were infected. So about a quarter of all the people tested actually had some of the virus in their system, according to this extremely Exhaustive. problematic test. Oh, oh. oh the... PRC the test. PRC test. Yeah. So 25 million confirmed infections with SARS-CoV-2. That's a lot. Um, and of the 25 million confirmed SARS-CoV-2 infections, according to this extremely problematic test, PCR test, that the CDC is recommending, we've had about 843,000 deaths globally. And again, we are finding more and more data that of those 843,000 deaths. Not all of them were because that person died from coronavirus. Right. Well, a lot of those people died from other illnesses right. that got complicated by a viral infection. So that's a 3.4% fatality rate, which is not 3.4% of the planet. No. That's not 3.4% of the 8 billion people on the planet. That's only of people who we know who have been tested, who we found out had some of SARS-CoV-2 in their system, 3.4% mm. of those people died. Uh, this is not helping with people's panic or trust levels when you realize that it's hard to find good information. It's really hard. I've been thinking a lot about the chicken little thing. Um, the sky is falling. The sky, the is, sky falling. is falling thing. Because in the beginning of this virus, they said, let's uh, catten the curve, flatten the curve. Cattening the curve. Right. I was so on board with cattening the curve. Because... Was, you know, we don't know what's going on. There's we don't want to overwhelm right. the hospitals. So... We slowed things down. Yeah. People, I think, slowed down the thing. We did it. And we figured out how not to put people on vent ventilators, mm -hmm. which because that killed them. Yeah. The ventilators was not the right response. Right. So <laughs> we thought we were flattening the curve so we could have more ventilators. Then we found out ventilators killed people. Right. So that gave us some time to have not killed as many people as we, <laughs> yeah. as we might have. So that's a good thing, in my opinion. Um, when we started getting seeing the data and seeing that it wasn't going to be that bad that would have been where somebody stepped in and said we can alter our behaviors now and not be so afraid mm -hmm. and because we didn't do that and because of these two tacks of panic mm -hmm. one attack one tack which is like big daddy's got you do what we say and you'll be safe mm -hmm. and then the other tack which is like maybe we should trust nature and see who's at risk and take care of them and let the rest of us go on about our lives mm -hmm. Because of the rancor between those two tacks, if we do ever get a pandemic virus that is as deadly as they said this one could be. People aren't going to listen. We're not going to listen to that. No. We're going to be like, y'all lied, lied out your butts last time. There hasn't been any kind of repercussions for bad information coming out over the airwaves or through governmental agencies. Yeah. And because of that, there's no trust. Right. So... Unless we do something to restore our trust in the institutions that we used to trust, which would be political, financial, religious, religious, news, news. We used to trust that information. We can't scientific now. Now we even, can't even trust even the scientific trusting the science leaders. There's a lot of there's a lot of gray area to science. So you can't have a one size fits all science that you say. Here is a factoid. Now, don't panic. Right. Because we're not one-size-fits-all animals. So I understand how Michael Lovett says this is actually a big uh, 
a big dip in the graph of the fall of Western civilization. We handled this terribly, and unless we do something to address the terrible handling of the situation, anytime something like this comes up that might be a very, very big serious risk factor mm-hmm. that might kill more than 0.05% of the planet, that's going to be rough. You know, when I was growing up, I thought Western civilization meant modern civilization. Like I, <laughs> No, I'm serious. Like, like in my mind, in my training, in my education, Western civilization was synonymous with developed countries. The Western model does have a lot of the uh, uh, desert Judeo-Christian God thing layered through it. Mm. And that's a paradigm. Right. Uh, some countries don't have the good, evil, black, white paradigm. Right. So there are other civilizations that are not working from that premise. So what we're saying is development, technology, science, the arts, uh, excellence traveled from Europe. And then it was briefly in the U.S. for a little bit. We produced some really great things and people and knowledge. And it's on its way west again. China. The U.S. is not the best anymore. China is going to be the next big deal. Yeah. They're already the next big deal. And we're failing. We're failing as a culture. We're failing as a society. We're failing as a political system. We're failing. And this virus has been evidence of our failure Mm -hmm. because we are at each other's throats. How can we be the top country if we're not taking care of our citizens? We don't have a unified country and we don't have a unified perspective of society. Citizens are fighting citizens over how to take care of the citizens. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Our Swedish correspondent has some information for us about what's going on in Sweden these days. She says, Sweden reports all cases dying with or by COVID. And they have chosen that because they want the total data. For example, COVID may lead to blood clots. So what then is the underlying cause of death? The evaluation will come later. A study on one of our regions showed that 20% of the deaths was directly due to COVID. And I asked for clarification and she said that means 20% of the deaths were people that were in a COVID infection when they died. So the data is being reported with the knowledge that even though all of these people were infected with COVID when they died, we're not sure yet how many of those deaths were actually caused by coronavirus or were actually some other underlying condition that was going to eventually kill that person anyway, anytime they encountered a virus. Right. She also shares a fun fact that we thought in Sweden at first, the start, we got our spread from Italy since we had a lot of people skiing in the Alps that week. Mm. Sweden kind of figured that they'd gotten it from Italy. It turns out the most infections through contact tracing came from the UK and the US. That means that the virus was already spreading in the US, most likely in New York over the winter. And it turns, uh, and that is why New York was hit pretty badly because the virus was around before anyone knew or could take any measures. So, we would not call it the China virus here in Sweden. We would call it the American virus. Yeah, it peaked in America in March. Yeah, it, that was already past peak. Yeah, as far as yeah, cases past go. Peak. Yeah, past peak. Yeah. Like, um, we only started counting and testing cases very, just the very, very beginning was February first, mm. right? Mm. Like end of January, beginning of February, I guess was the first time there that, were no tests. Nobody had. There tests. was no tests. Yeah, but we knew it. It had showed up in. China via test in December. However, there are tons and tons of personal anecdotal stories of people having this illness as early as November. Flu season. The U.S. virus? The U.S. virus. Mm. Which doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't start in Wuhan, China. Right. 
But because of how much international travel that we have sure. and the acceleration of flu season, making people more susceptible to viruses than they are the rest of the year, it, it you know, it's, per- <laughs> I think it's funny that we think we understand how, how that like, oh no, no, it started there and then it went here and then it went here and it definitely wasn't out here before we knew about it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, that's a little bit of information from Sweden. So the trust issue, I think it's a big issue. And I think Michael Levitt's right when he says this is uh, expediting the fall of Western civilization because of the way that we handled it and our our reluctance to address our failures. We have a reluctance to address the failure in our political system, mm-hmm. the endemic corruption, and the fact that the, the democratic process is no longer functioning. We just keep having elections, but we're not ad- addressing why the elections um, are more and more problematic every time. Mm-hmm. We're not dealing with that because, well, we have to get through this election. We just have to get through this election. And we, we've been doing that since I remember, since I, was, I voted the first time. <laughs> we just have to get through this election. And then we'll deal with the problems, but then we never deal with the problems. Right. We just have to get not that guy in. So right now, I think if we look at ourselves in the way that we have handled this virus as a society, we have failed miserably. And it's not a partisan issue. You can continue to make, you can be butthurt and mad because the mask mandate turns out not to have been anything other than a wooby for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that that's not the way it worked out. It, it wasn't useful. You just got mad and lost a lot of friends and blanked some people off Facebook because they had a different opinion about the mask than you did. What do you do when you find out you were wrong? Do you go back and apologize to your Trump fans? You mean your Trump enemies? Your Trump, your, your, your fans of Trump that you blocked off because they said wearing a mask is dumb. Yeah. doesn't matter whether they had good info to go on to make that choice. The fact is, at the end of the game, they were kind of the correct ones. That's not a popular thing to say. Right. It's going to be what it plays out as. We lose it. friends every week on this show. Yeah. It's the same thing with the lockdown. I mean, it's killing small <laughs> businesses. It's killing people. Yeah. Uh, and Suicide it, rates are up. Death by abuse is up. So childhood hunger death rates are up. That's the societal uh, casualties that we're not dealing with yet. And I think maybe after this next election, since it'll be, geez, only another two years before we have to get really angry at each other again. Right. We could probably start as soon as we want, probably in December. We could start getting mad again at each other about the next election. But maybe in late November, we can talk about how we handled this virus and maybe try For a to brief find window. some trusted ways to gather and disseminate information as a society because our po- politicians are not doing it in a way that is helping us. And our mainstream commercial media that's selling you chips and snack food obviously did not handle this virus in a way that benefited our society. Mm-hmm. So I feel like panic is the virus that we let get out of control. Yeah. All our concerns about the virus ended up being the virus. I've been visiting with a friend of mine this weekend who is some kind of conservative Christian. I don't claim to know enough about her to know all of her political leanings, but we had a very interesting conversation about... I did grow up with her so I can make some educated guesses, and we're having interesting conversations around our various uh, differences these days. Mm. And we had a conversation Saturday night where... I used the word brainwashing Mm. and 
she brought to my attention that trigger warning. Yeah, a trigger warning. She I, she didn't call it that because she she's in the group of people that feels like saying triggering is overused. A little too coddling. Well, no, it's just anyway. That's complicated. But yeah. Um, <laughs> And it, and it came down to it that we did kind of have different definitions of brainwashing, mm. like, and also different reactions to the feeling of being brainwashed right. and also different reactions to the possibility of being brainwashed. Mm. She, so here's what the dictionary calls brainwashing. Yeah. The process of pressuring someone into adopting radically different beliefs by using systemic and forcible means. That sounds like the mask debate. That, well, I mean, that's kind of interesting because to me, you don't know you're being brainwashed. To me, the like to me, an intrinsic part of the definition of brainwashing is that you you don't know. Mm. You don't know that someone's lying to you. You think that you are changing their mind due to this new information that is being presented to you, but it may be actual act of brainwashing that this information is. I don't understand that sentence. I'm sorry. So the idea of being brainwashed to you means that you are an innocent person who has been manipulated from the outside by somebody else? Right, and I didn't know it. And you didn't know it. This definition is saying you're pressuring someone into adopting different beliefs than the ones that they have. Yes. Which means that they had some beliefs and then you changed their mind over time. Right. Now, I know you can manipulate people through torturous means into changing their minds, such as prison tactics. But you, to me, brainwashing is is usually something that you grow up under. So, no. So, I, I, I think I might agree with her a little bit. On, I don't on think this, on if, the you're, definition. if you know someone's trying to manipulate you to believe something different, then you're not being brainwashed. Yeah. You might, you, you're being peer pressured. So like being brainwashed means to have actively changed somebody's perspective or change somebody's belief. So for me, being raised in a right-wing cult. You didn't have I your own to start. I wasn't brainwashed. I was indoctrinated. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. And then people were concerned that I was brainwashed because I saw that the indoctrination was unhealthy for me and I changed my mind. Mm. So from the church perspective, I was brainwashed. By the outside world. By the outside world. Right. Because I no longer agreed with their sexist, racist, you know. And I've met some people who were adults who um, went through a traumatic event Mm. and were nurtured and supported by a religious group. That's Stockholm. Well, <laughs> yes, a little different. But I think you can be con- you can be systemically convinced to change your mind if the person's being really sneaky and manipulative and making the mind changing information seem really good for you. Um, so we we had an interesting conversation around brainwashing. I I in her case when I brought out the word. I was talking about how the U.S. drug war policies has brainwashed us into thinking that drugs are bad. Yes. And she took that to mean that I thought she was brainwashed and that her parents had brainwashed her. And she took offense to the thought of her parents actively and maliciously manipulating her to believe things that were lies. Oh. Which is not what I was saying. Right. I was not saying her parents brainwashed her. I think the U.S. government brainwashed our grandparents and then they passed that information along to their children who passed it along to us and they didn't know. They didn't know that it was lies. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? 
I don't know what that means. It's the cultural brainwashing as well. When you have a show like Cops, where you just, um, they portray uh, people who are using drugs in a certain way, mm-hmm. or they only show you a certain type, only certain types of people who are getting... They only show you drug getting, abuse. Yeah, exactly. Drug abuse. So you correlate abuse with use. Mm-hmm. It's cultural brainwashing. Cultural, yes. I think we are culturally and socially being brainwashed. I think most advertising is an attempt at brainwashing. When you watch a Coca-Cola ad at Christmas and it shows a loving family drinking Coca-Cola while playing winter sports and sledding, it makes you think that you want to buy Coca-Cola because maybe you will also have those feelings. That's brainwashing to me. There's some brainwashing. Yeah, sure. And I think it's really important in this age of trying to figure out who to trust and the mask thing that how does the brainwashing connect to that um you have a lot of glasses over there i know suddenly <laughs> i had one in my pocket one on my head and one yeah. and one in your bag um yeah. so my friend who runs in more conservative circles did was saying people who are being told that masks are saving lives should know to question yes they should k-n-o-w to question and be skeptical and yes. think their own thoughts. Why wouldn't they? Right. And I and I was trying to speak from the perspective of my progressive Democrat liberal whatever friends that when you have grown up and dis- and gone out into the world and asked questions and found sources that you feel like align with your personal morality and you choose your trusted sources just like my friend went out and studied religion and chose her trusted source of religion mm. which is Christianity that then you continue to trust your trusted chosen source and when your trusted chosen source says wear masks or you're killing people mm-hmm. you don't have a reason to question something if Why you don't you? know yeah. you're being lied to right it's like that pie chart you can draw a circle on a piece of paper and then you have something to do and then you're less prone to panic yeah and you draw because a- you're doing the right thing right yeah and you draw what hmm you draw something? No, no it's fine we can carry on all right we're coming to the end of the show yeah we work our way through the two hours pretty fast. Appreciate everybody participating this afternoon. So what's your takeaway from the show? How do you feel about the coronavirus today as opposed to yesterday? Has your mind changed on anything from the research you've been doing? Have you changed your mind about anything? I would say my mental change happened in mostly in June and July. Okay. March and April, I was, you know, I washed all our coats and I washed my purses and I shook out our shoes and left them on the porch for several days. So the cold would kill it, even though cold didn't kill, you know, like I washed the fridge and all the doorknobs and I changed the sheets and I uh, was sharing catenine the curve memes. And then the more research that I did, because that's just what we do for our show, the more the data seemed to point to those measures not being having an effect on how viruses behave other than psychological other than other than mental health yeah um if you believe that that's what will save you then it makes you feel good to do it Mm. and friends keep sharing information with me from the perspective that we stay healthy by keeping viruses out of us and i read those sources and watch those videos and go down those rabbit trails as well and i'm Still, I continue to find data that supports the perspectives that I've gained that uh, this this particular pandemic is not as deadly as they said it was going to be. Mm. 
this particular pandemic is behaving the same everywhere, no matter whether people lock down or wear masks. Mm -hmm. And we know who's at risk and we're not helping the people who are at risk. We're not focusing on them. And I think that's the part that makes me really frustrated and probably my motivation for continuing to research and spread the information that I've found from scientific, medical, and financial experts about the coronavirus, I should say SARS-CoV-2, my motivation is that I think more people are suffering under the current story than need to be suffering. That's how I feel. Yeah. And so I want to share information to try to help people suffer less mental suffering as well as literal physical suffering of abuse victims, childhood hunger, um, suicide cases, chronic mental health issues being developed. And my friends who actually are, in danger of dying from SARS-CoV-2 who are not being supported because we think if everybody wears a mask, then we're helping people. I think my most disturbing shift in um, my perception of this virus is that looking at economic and business interests as the folks who are most invested in an accurate depiction of the virus. I mean... I come from the world of arts. I'm disinclined to really validate the corporate world. Mm -hmm. However, I also understand how things work and and who is more invested. Who's more motivated in getting the right data. And understanding what is going on than corporate interest. Mm -hmm. And corporate interest is validating the source that I have been following since June or so. Mm -hmm. Which is disturbing to me to have to admit that. It's like trying to admit that maybe the Trump supporters were right about the mask. I don't necessarily want to admit that maybe the business, this is without venturing into conspiracy land, that seems like a natural fit. That the business interest would have the inside line on what the data says about this virus and how to plan ahead for it. Now, if we can find a way to make the business interest communicate with the social sphere, Mm -hmm. but then that gives up their inside information, doesn't it? Right. It's it's a little hard to manage the the corporate livestock if they know that you're treating them like livestock. Anyway, that's my takeaways. Uh, disturbingly, I'm paying more attention to Business Insider, Forbes magazine, because these are the folks that seem to be having the most cutting edge on what's going on with the virus. Data. Yeah, most cutting the edge actual data. Actual data. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, there we go. We did another show. It's, yeah. uh, it's time for the Sunday Smackdown with Yay. Dan and Patty. Stay tuned for some quality radio, more lighthearted talk radio, yeah. and some music. If you have any questions or angry complaints, you can find us on <laughs> Facebook at Post Orthodoxy. We actually got some really positive reviews this week from yeah. friends of the show. One of our friends said that he, when he's feeling lonely, he likes to get high and watch Post Orthodoxy videos, which I take as a very high compliment. I'll take that as a compliment. I like that. It's it's definitely a different kind of compliment than people that say, I really don't agree with you, but I do keep watching. <laughs> yeah, folks. And remember, get high responsibly. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much for listening to KBMF. LP Butte. Stay tuned for the Sunday Smackdown and um, and thanks to everybody that participated in our live streams today. See you next week. 
You can join the post-Orthodoxy conversation by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, Twitch, or YouTube. If you'd like to connect with us online, we can be found on Instagram at post-Orthodoxy, on Twitter and Facebook as ourselves, and on Twitch as The Seviers. Our work on the post-Orthodoxy conversations is supported by listeners like you through our Patreon, where patrons of the show have access to perks and exclusive content. That's patreon.com slash post-Orthodoxy. Post-Orthodoxy began as a live radio broadcast on KBMF 102.5 FM, America's Most Radio. Find other quality radio shows by the 70-plus volunteer DJs on the station archive at butteamericaradio.org slash shows. Or you can stream live 24-7 from anywhere on the planet at butteamericaradio.org slash stream. Our post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal, and a special thanks goes to our voice actors, Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony. Thanks for playing. <laughs> What's outside your reality bubble? I think I dribbled a bit.